and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we profile the November graphic novel of the month, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, for Alan Moore Month. And joining me is none other than JJ. JJ, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. This is going to be an awesome session. I was so excited to hear our topic for November, and I just had to say, you know, get me in here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your enthusiasm on this one has been infectious and i thoroughly enjoyed this read and we'll get into the specifics of that momentarily but this one in particular for alan moore coming a little later in his career would bring a wonderful melding of two fantastic talents alums if you will from 2000 a.d the league of extraordinary gentlemen volume one is a comic book series written by alan moore and illustrated by kevin o'neill originally published under the wildstorm imprint of dc comics a trade paperback has been published under dc's other imprints both vertigo and america's best comics it is the first story in the larger league of extraordinary gentlemen series the story takes place in 1898 in a fictional world where all of the characters and events from Victorian literature coexist. It was first published in January of 1999. I think it's so cool that he took a story that was basically set 100 years in the past, right on the cusp of the 20th century, just as we were starting to go into the 21st. And I don't think that that was on accident. No, that seems very calculated, but not in a materialistic or commercial way, but very cleverly, the natural melding or blending together of both creative and, hey, nice circumstantial turn of the century elements here at play and working on all cylinders. So with that, JJ, let's go ahead and dive into our Kirby Colonel, a little Colonel knowledge about our namesake, Jack. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby Colonel. In this Kirby Colonel, we're going to focus in on an award that was named after Jack Kirby. The Jack Kirby Comics Industry Award was an award for achievement in comic books presented from 1985 to 1987. Voted on by comic book professionals, the Kirby was the first such award since the Shazam Awards ceased in 1975. Sponsored by Amazing Heroes Magazine, which was published by Fantagraphics and managed by Amazing Heroes Managing Editor Dave Albrick. The Kirby Award was named after the pioneering writer and artist Jack Kirby. These Kirby Awards came about in reaction against the 1983 institution of the Comics Buyer's Guide Fan Awards, which were voted on by fans. Albrecht and the editors of Fantagraphics wished to create an award voted on by comics professionals, creators, retailers, and distribution personnel. Nominations for the Kirby Awards were made by Amazing Heroes editors and warehouse employees, with the final ballots printed in issues of Amazing Heroes. The awards themselves were distributed at the annual San Diego Comic-Con, with Jack Kirby himself on hand to congratulate the winners. In 1985, its inaugural year, 238 ballots were cast, about 100 of them, 
by comics creators. Now, how does this fit into our focused creator, Alan Moore? Alan Moore would go on to win Best Writer for the three years of the award's existence and would be greeted on stage by the King of Comics himself in 1985 after receiving his award for Swamp Thing. He won again for Swamp Thing in 86 and, of course, for the epic Watchmen in 1987. In 1987, a dispute arose when Albrecht and Fantagraphics publisher of Amazing Heroes, which claimed ownership of the awards, and Jack Kirby removed himself from the equation. Poor Jack. This always, something always seems to come up <laughs> to interrupt Jack's glory or something nice being done to commemorate him. It's, it's really a shame. A compromise, however, was reached, and starting in 1988, the Kirby Award was discontinued. Two new awards were created. The Eisner Award, hey, great name, epic, legendary creator, managed by Ulbrich, named after Will Eisner, and the Fantagraphics-managed Harvey Award, named after Harvey Kurtzman. Again, another comics luminary. Both of the new awards allowed voting only by comics industry professionals. I'm always amazed at how you managed to find a tie-in. And when you think about the two creators that we're talking about, Jack Kirby and Ellen Moore, I feel like you couldn't have two more different people. I, I feel like they're on totally opposite opposite ends of the spectrum and yet he was recognized and and met kirby on stage and shook his hand and obviously for his great work in in the industry so just where do you find these kernels lots of research <laughs> a bit of a geek in that department and frankly actually came out of a discussion an interview that alan moore had had about who her his biggest influences were now, on the creative side of the house, JJ, you are right on the mark. Jack Kirby and Alan Moore stylistically could not be any more different. However, as Alan was growing up, he was greatly influenced by Marvel and loved, loved, loved Jack's work, both at Marvel and DC. Matter of fact, treated Jack with an immense amount of reverence, truly viewed Jack as a creative's creative. So from that standpoint, there was a massive amount of mutual respect between the two, which is really cool to see, even though they were stylistically so, so different. But let's move on to a little creative chatter where we will profile our writer, Alan Moore, and our artist, Kevin O'Neill. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Alan Moore, after a thousand and one odd jobs, this Northampton lad, Alan Moore, started out as an underground comics artist, only to realize that his writing might be better than his drawing. Now, over four decades later and into his fifth, he is one of the very few comic writers to become truly a superstar. Moore's claim to fame with the mainstream audience stems from the monumental Watchmen which he did with Dave Gibbons. A clever and obsessively detailed take on the phenomenon of superheroes. Who watches The Watchmen is the central riddle of this late 80s classic. What most people in the mainstream missed, however, are Moore's earlier scripts, but not us here at Kirby's Kids, like the Orwellian V for Vendetta, the echo horror Swamp Thing, which we have profiled in depth, 
and the Batman story, The Killing Joke. And it's not only the quality of Moore's writing that impresses those who would like to know more about Moore's quality standards for comics and script writing. Please go over to the Comics Journal. He has published several essays over there on the subject. He also has a big, big work ethic. He keeps creating new worlds, new characters, and new images, and was the inspiration for the likes of none other than Neil Gaiman and Grant Morrison, who is currently in, I guess, a bit of a tiff with him, but I won't get into that. Needless to say, both those major creatives were influenced by Alan Moore and had cause to run into Alan, all being 2000 and AD alums. After Watchmen, Moore has worked on Big Numbers with Bill Sankwitz, Lost Girls with Melinda Gebby, and From Hell with Eddie Campbell, among many, many other projects. And let's not forget his novel that he's done, The Voice of the Fire, which was about his hometown of Northampton. And he's also done several other public readings. His graphic influences were Mad Magazine, the underground comics artists like Von Bode, George Metzger, Robert Crumb, Spain Rodriguez, Gilbert Shelton, Kim Deitch, Robert Williams, Jade Lynch, Rick Griffin, S. Clay Wilson, and Victor Moscoso. So notice that. Not one utterance of Jack Kirby, even though there was great respect there. So you see stylistically, big difference. In 2007, he was a special guest voice in Matt Groening's The Simpsons. In the episode Husband and Knives, he starred alongside Art Spiegelman and Daniel Cloyes. So as you can see, Matt Groening also being a big fan of Alan Moore's. You really can't talk about modern comics without talking about Alan Moore. And there's a reason why we keep circling back to him and level of expertise with which he crafts a story and tells a narrative and he does it over and over and over and over again it doesn't matter what the trappings are he brings a fresh perspective a new light and it looks like he's constantly challenging himself in every endeavor and it just i think it speaks to that work ethic that you talked about and we reap the benefits of it we reap the the benefits of his his efforts his production and you know maybe his mania <laughs> maybe that's why he's able to create so much so frequently indeed indeed he is prolific and never boring that is for sure so our artist is kevin o'neill and Kevin O'Neill was among the first artists at 2000 AD, and he is best known as the co-creator of Nemesis the Warlock, Martial Law, and, of course, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen here. One of his first jobs was for the IPC company, where he worked at the offices of the Buster Children's Magazine. From 1976, he was a colorist for other children's publications. In 1977, O'Neill was among the earliest co-ops. For 2000 AD, O'Neill illustrated the cover of the very first issue, and later on comics like Tharg the Mighty, Future Shocks, and several humorous stories. With writer-editor Pat Mills, he eventually created the Robusters series. O'Neill continued to work with Mills on projects like Nemesis the Warlock, O'Neill also illustrated stories with Judge Dredd and the ABC Warriors. By the early 1980s, O'Neill became a freelancer and did work for DC Comics. He did fill-ins on the Omega Men and cooperated with Alan Moore for the first time on a story in Tales of the Green Lantern Corps Annual, which 
even got him in trouble with the Comics Code Authority. At DC, he also published the graphic novel Metal Zoic, another collaboration with Pat Mills. O'Neill and Mills then began the superhero satire Martial Law at Epic. It was later transferred to Apocalypse Comics and Dark Horse, and also became a weekly comic called Toxic, with Martial Law as the main character. You know, I think it was his work with Alan Moore on Tales of the Green Lanterns Corps in the annual, I want to say it was annual number two, uh, in a story called Tigers, that Alan Moore first talks about the great catastrophe that takes place for the Green Lanterns and ended it up basically being pulled in and later updated to include Parallax, which are topics of series that you and Doc have been reviewing most recently. Indeed, JJ, indeed, you are right on point. What's amazing about Alan Moore is that even within his published works, that has gone on to inspire other creatives that have taken some of those work that kind of bordered, hmm, is this going to be canon? Is this not going to be canon? And fully embraced it, creating that inspiration. And Jeff Johns wholeheartedly took that Tiger story and made it whole as far as developing an entire mythos and that Parallax character off of that. So great pull, great pull. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. In 1999, he worked with Alan Moore again. O'Neill and Moore created the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which featured various characters, as we had mentioned, from the Victorian literature. The comic was a big success and turned into a feature film in 2003. Now, JJ, let's head over to a little comics archaeology. I said that, good man. And in comics archaeology, we are going to deviate a little bit. And I just wanted to bring to our discussion some definitions of fiction, because certainly this League of Extraordinary Gentlemen fits into a couple different fiction categories. And Alan Moore is really playing with a, an established or tried and true formulation, if you will, but he really turns it into his own. The first one I want to bring up is crossover fiction. Crossover fiction is a placement of two or more otherwise discrete fictional character settings or universes into the context of a single story. So what we're seeing here is we have comics, uh, particularly the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's, creates a Victorian-era Justice League of sorts by getting these very famous characters from literature onto a single team. We see mar you know, modern examples of this with Marvel's Secret Wars and DC's Crisis events, where you have this banding together of incredible superheroes or personalities to go after a common enemy. Indeed. Well, if you think about comics... In general, both Marvel and DC have had opportunities when they've licensed a particular character and adapted it for comics, especially anything that was in the public domain. There's, uh, Marvel would do John Carter. Uh, it would do the Robert E. Howard character Conan, which you guys are going to be talking about next year. But also some of the lesser known characters like the, the Pilgrim. But 
The other thing is that they would often have appearances in regular comics. They'd find some way to bring a character in. You've talked about before when Fafford and the Grey Mouser appeared in DC Comics. Was it Wonder Woman? Yeah. So it's there's a lot of precedent here, but I think what he did that was interesting was he took characters from contemporary literature, contemporary Victorian literature, and he put them all in the same setting and then extrapolated from there. Now, he's not the first person to do this. There's at least one person that preceded him in the sense that Philip Jose Farmer, a science fiction author, did a, oh, I guess what you would call it is a couple fictional biographies. So one was about Tarzan and the other one was about Doc Savage. These appeared in 1972 and 1973. And they dealt with the real life media uh, called the Wold cottage meteorite that fell near Wold Newton, Berkshire, England in December 13th, 19, or excuse me, 1795. So what he ends up doing here is saying that, well, these characters possibly receive some sort of genetic mutation from exposure to the meteorite and that all of the descendants from those from the people that were originally exposed went on to have great strength high intelligence and so he created what was called the old newton family which included of all people tarzan doc savage sherlock holmes and then other authors would go on to get included like solomon kane captain blood the scarlet pimpernel moriarty uh professor moriarty phineas fogg and on and on and on and so he was in a sense causing a common origin to proliferate through these various literary uh, literary novels they they he created a uh, a tree you know a, a family tree to so to speak where they all were kind of descended from the same couple sets of parents so i think what he was doing here though was putting them together at the same time and in the same situation which really does fit the mold of a Victorian JLA, even to the point that if you look at the covers, you'll see various collections of the League that have happened throughout time. In his fictional world, the ones that we're reading weren't the first ones, and they certainly wouldn't be the last ones. So it's a fantastic story and, and just an amazing breadth and understanding of literature that he was able to bring all these characters together. JJ, that is some magnificent insight. And for the benefit of our listeners, what JJ just described there were parallel novels and mashup novels, which have a deep history. And the fact that you had more mining classic characters from the Victorian era novels, such as Bram Stoker's Dracula, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories, Sir H. Ryder Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. And then on the mashup front, you would have another work of fiction, an insidious villain, the insidious Dr. Fu Manchu by English author Sax Romer, who would also appear, but would be named, in this particular graphic novel. So 
Yes, yes, and yes. Inspiration for more is critical context as we head over to our literary aisle where we finally get to discuss this exciting graphic novel of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Volume 1. Their powers are legendary. are unknown. Their methods are extreme. But when our future's at stake, they'll be the world's last hope. And the game is on. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Kids. Hey, shout! Yeah. Yeah.